Wow. I know you all brought us here to talk about Asian American psychology, and we're supposed to be experts and all, but I, I do want to shine a light here and just honor somebody, and that's Dr. Kenneth Wang, who himself is one of the leaders within Asian American psychology. Can we give him a round of applause? Like other folks, before I go in, I just want to make sure it, it's Friday. Uh, <laughs> is there not a lot of things to do in Pasadena? <laughs> I'm just a little worried here, but I, okay. Uh, you know, Daniel said, oh, you know, we're going to have this small intimate gathering. You know, we're hoping for like, th no, you did. That's how you got us here. <laughs> you really did. So he lied to us. Uh, we're not offended. We're actually in awe that you are taking the time out of a lovely Friday to join us. And hopefully, as you can see, uh, we have a lot of uh, passion to give this topic. And um, before I go on, though, and you know, Nita sort of brushed up on this, I want to really be clear that the possibilities that are up here as Asian American psychologists, right, owe homage and honoring to the African-American community and the African-American psychologists. Uh, neither of the ties actually go to the founder of uh, black psychology, Dr. Joseph White at UC Irvine. And yes, no, he deserves all that. No, let's give him a round. There you go. Right. And it was our African-American and black colleagues who really took a stand for their own voice that really set the stage not only for people of color across the board, but for women, for queer communities, right? For many, many communities to say, we are unique. We are not the same. And that is a good thing. And so I just want to say that we are standing here really, really on the shoulders of the giants who came before us. So. Um, let's see if this works. Oh, it does work. How about that? That's great. All right. So, you know, I'm here to wrestle with a question, you know, does race matter for Asian Americans? And we're here to talk about, oh, you know, Asian American psychology is a good thing. Ethnic minority psychology is a good thing. Let's take pride in that. And that was Nita's message. And it was all true. But I want to share with you a time when I was completely ashamed to be a psychologist, much less an Asian American psychologist. When I looked at myself and felt like what I was doing, what my field was doing, what our colleagues were doing was a complete failure. And this was uh, in the late 90s. And I was asked to lunch uh, to meet with uh, some lawyers, civil rights lawyers from San Francisco's Asian Law Caucus. The Asian Law Caucus is one of the premier um, uh, civil rights groups within the Asian American legal community. And they were prosecuting a case on behalf of Southeast Asian and East Asians who were living in the San Francisco Housing Authority. And they were being attacked continuously by people within the projects, and they were harassed, and the San Francisco Housing Authority was being sued because they were basically doing nothing to do anything for these families. And this was one story of Miss Tam Lee, a 34-year-old mother of four, who, as she was walking home one night in the dark, and she got jumped by five youths 
who started to throw bottles at her and to try to kick her. And one of the things they said uh, there was, you know, get out of here, you Chinese bitch. We know where you live, and they did, and we're going to kill you. This is one of many, many incidents that this particular community was faced. Uh, there was home invasions. There was beatings of children and parents. There were cars uh, set afire, uh, attacks uh, going to and from school. And these lawyers had sat down and said, look, this has to have a psychological impact. So you're an Asian American psychologist. You're a part of this Asian American Psychological Association. Help us out. We need to file, we need to file a case. And part of our case for, for damages is really the psychological impact of incidences like this, right? Doesn't sound too complicated, right? Something like this has to have impact. And so they asked me, so, you know, can you help us compile the literature and show us about what the literature has shown in terms of the psychological impact of racism on Asian Americans? I couldn't. And I told them so, because there wasn't anything done. And he looked at me. These were two lawyers civil rights lawyers, one professional to another, and he looked at me and he asked me the hardest question I'd been asked as a psychologist. What the hell have you guys been doing? Where have you guys been? Right? Tough question. And the reason why we couldn't answer it is right behind me. This is the literature on Asian Americans and racism, right? The literature, right? The official thing, right? That's supposed to mean something. You can see that prior to 1990, there was one study on Asian Americans and the impact of racism. Between 1990 and 1999, there were six. Mind you, they asked me about 98, 99. Right? So when I said I really couldn't help them, I couldn't help Miss Lee, I couldn't help those kids, I couldn't help anybody from my own damn community, it's because of this slide. Right? It's because of this slide, because my field had not focused on this. Right? And so this is not just for Asian Americans, by the way. Right? The reason for this, the reason for this no, let me get back to it. I'll, I'll, I'll flow back to it. So let, let's put this in a larger context. Right? Let's talk about Asian American history, because I showed you the data from the early 90s. But Asian Americans, as Nita has said, have been here for hundreds of years. We came in large groups you know, in the 1800s, but we've been here for hundreds of years. So I'm going to do a little quiz here. right? The Chinese Exclusion Act. Okay. How long ago was that? Anybody take a guess? Damn. <laughs> you got them going, huh? It was like boom, boom, boom. Right. 137 years ago, 1882, right? The first law that was targeted at a particular racial and ethnic community to bar them from this country. Executive Order 9066, the Japanese-American internment began. Anybody remember the year? 1942, exactly. 
77 years ago, right? We interned a whole class of people, put them in concentration camps solely on the purpose, solely on the basis of race without due process. A watershed moment within Asian American history, not just Asian American psychology, the murder of Vincent Chin the night before his wedding. Anybody remember that year? I don't know why I'm giving this talk. <laughs> I was just, let's give him on the mic. 37 years ago, right? And so this notion, the point I want to make off of this slide is that Asian Americans have been here for a long time, but part of the thing that connects us across multiple ethnicities, across multiple generations, has been this experience of systemic racism, both systemically as well as individual, right? That has been part of the thing that connects so very many of us. And so this notion that something, that racism has been such a part of our experience, yet has not been studied by psychology, is probably one of the most frustrating things I, f I face in my profession. And why is that? Historically, psychology has historically been more interested in how do people become racist? How do people, and it started with a lot of the research on anti-Semitism, how do people become anti-Semitic? We haven't really focused on what's the experience of being the target of racism. And I will say that this is not just within the Asian American community, it's also within a, across communities of color, right? The vast majority of the research, even though uh, it, it's, you know, it started within the African American community, but by and large, the slide that I showed you about you know, the 1990s applies to other communities as well as the Asian American community. Right, And there's been relatively little work on Asian American communities. So it's no wonder I couldn't have an answer for those lawyers at that time. Right, And as the field has diversified, as more people of color have entered the field, part of the transformation has been to say, give legitimacy to actually studying our very own experiences. And that's what you're starting to see. But you can see here that in the 1990s, and this is the handbook of Asian American psychology, right? So it's the handbook, right? So that means it's like the definitive book about what Asian American psychology is going to be. And they had this whole entire chapter on racism, and it was the first chapter that I read. But it wasn't anything about psychology. It was actually everything about history. There wasn't any study that was really incorporated in this, and I had to read through the whole damn chapter being frustrated, and at the end it says, we know more about the history than we know about the psychological impact. And I was like, well, shit, I knew that. <laughs> but it was irritating. I was like, ah, what the hell, right? But it was irritating. But even the handbook could recognize there was a huge gap here. So. Where are we? Between 1990 and 1999, we had six, right? Between 2000 and 2009, right? We started getting even bigger. And between 2010 and now, 2019, some of the work has been published also by Dr. Wang, myself, other colleagues uh, in the room. It's grown quite a bit, right? To 162 studies that have actually wrestled with this topic, right? So it has been growing. It has been an impact. It has uh, really began to look at this as a legitimate area of study, and I'm very excited about that. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it. So, you know, but is this thing, this racism thing, really a big deal, right? These are 
items from an instrument that is typically used within my field, right? And just look at it over carefully really quick, right? And raise your hands if you've experienced one or more of these at any time. Raise your hands. Okay, wait, just hold them up, hold them up. And now everybody look around the room, check out. How many hands you see have experienced something like this at one point? All right, let's put it down. So look at this. People are not as nice to you as other people. You're being insulted or called a name. You're treated with less respect, You're made fun of, you receive poor service. Is that really a big deal? You know, is that really, you know, somebody doesn't treat you the same as other people. How big of a deal is that? Let's dive into that question. Let's look at mental health outcomes. I'm not going all over this. This is some of the research on, um, uh, on Asian Americans specifically, but I'll, I'll just go over like one or two studies on each. We have found that the experience of discrimination is associated with each of these particular uh, mental health outcomes. The vast majority of the research, probably about two thirds of it, has focused on mental health outcomes. Let me draw your attention to Chalsa Liu's study back in the day, but it is a powerful study. Uh, Chalsa uh, works in uh, the VA system in Hawaii, and uh, she studied the experience of PTSD among Asian American Vietnam veterans. And one of the things she found out was that the diagnosis of PTSD, right, was more associated with the experience of discrimination than combat. Think about that a second. Experiencing discrimination led to PTSD more so than the experience of combat. Why? Because so many Asian American veterans, when they would train them at camp a lot of times, and they would teach them about how to find the North Vietnamese, they would point to them and say, Look at this guy. That's what the enemy looks like. Kill him. Just one story, right? So th the notion that discrimination, again, more than combat, gives you a sense of what we're talking about here. To a lesser extent, there's been some research in recent years around physical health outcomes. Let me just focus here on physical activities by Gilbert G, who's actually here at UCLA, just down, down the way. And he asked people a real simple question. How many times in this month have your activities been limited? That's it. How many times this month have your activities been limited? Okay. What he found for South Asians was on average, they would say about eight days a month. Eight days a month, their activities were limited, yeah? For those South Asians who reported experiencing discrimination, they experienced 22 days. Okay, let's think about that. South Asians who reported experiencing no discrimination had eight days of physical limitations, South Asians who experienced discrimination reported 22 days. What does that really mean? Two thirds out of the month 
you felt limited somehow, that your physical activities were limited, and that was associated with the experience of discrimination. Two-thirds of the month, right? Two-thirds of your life, every day, being limited. A couple other things here. I'll highlight a few. A smaller set of studies have dug into the notion of health behaviors. One of the things we find is that the experience of discrimination in the Cheng study was associated with suicidal ideation and suicidal attempts, right? That those, that was a positive correlation between the two. In fact, the more recent study by Li, Ji, and Dong found that Chinese American elderly, the likelihood of them having suicidal ideation was two times greater when they experience discrimination. So what does that really mean? People who experience discrimination are thinking about harming themselves intentionally. We look here, what we also find is that uh, the experience of discrimination, and this matters to pretty much everybody in this room, is associated with underutilization of treatment. In other words, when you experience discrimination, you're less likely to actually seek help, okay? And then that bottom slide, the discrimination from, from providers, the Lee study, shows that when Asian Americans actually see therapists, they are also more than likely to report experiences of discrimination. So let me kind of walk through this whole vicious cycle, right? All the other slides I've shown you show, right, that the experience of discrimination is associated with what? Mental distress, physical distress, right? It is damaging one's health. At the same time, it is also causing you to be less likely to seek treatment. Right? And then when you seek treatment, you are actually being what? Re-traumatized yet again for the very thing that you're coming in here for. Think about that crazy cycle that keeps going on around, right? So again, this is an incredibly you know, pernicious and, and powerful uh, experience. So what are the main lessons? One, that discrimination is actually pathogenic, right? Uh, and, and two, that there is a linkage between one's experience, environmental experience, social, social political experience, and one's health. Within the Asian American psycho psychological, psychological community, this is critical. Because for the most part, when we look at Asian American psychology as a, as a discipline, and Anita has brushed up on this, we have focused so much on culture and ethnicity, and acculturation, and cultural values. That has been our historical disciplinary roots. But what this literature is really starting to show, right, is that it's not just about culture. It's not just about having different values. It's also about living in the same systemic racism that so many communities of color, as we are clearly seeing nowadays, have to live through, and that that has an impact on one's health. It also then begins to then if you accept that premise, you also have to accept the premise that as a discipline and as a field, part of what we need to do is to really challenge and advocate the current social political climate, right? If we are saying that the social political climate has a health impact on our communities, then by that very statement, we have to make a commitment to changing and advocating the, that particular climate. But we have 
many ways to go. And I'll go over these uh, points uh, really quickly here. Let me step back here. The vast majority, in fact, almost everything I have shown you has focused on something called microaggressions. That has become an incredibly powerful thing within the field. People talk about it a lot. And it's items like this, just like the ones I showed you. That's what a microaggression is, right? Guess what? That's not racism. That's a piece of it, but it ain't all of it. Notice, this slide and every piece of the study, every study that I've shown you, does not capture the experience of being stalked in the middle of the night and having bottles thrown at you and people trying to kick you and people trying to burn your house and people trying to beat up on your kids and setting fire to your cars. That's also racism. And so much of the psychological literature has shown us that even these quote-unquote little things, even these quote-unquote innocuous things, have a profound effect on us. But we haven't even studied the big things. We haven't even studied what, what is the effect of not, getting, not being able to live in a particular neighborhood. What is the effect of being denied admission to a neighborhood, a school, a club? We don't even know that. We've only studied the little things. And I have shown you that the little things already have a powerful impact. Right? What more? can we demonstrate? What more do we need to actually begin to go beyond just microaggressions? Okay? We can see that there are institutional laws that we need to examine and how that has an impact on us, right? People being barred from this country, right? People being deported, people being detained, children being separated from their families, all part of that, right? What is the impact of that? What is the impact of witnessing that, which is vicarious racism? What is the impact of continuing to see our values shift, right? Again and again and again, and our traditions and cultures being denigrated. There's many forms of racism is the argument here. Microaggressions is only one. One of the things this field needs to do is to get beyond microaggressions, because right now, probably more than any time in this country in the last half century, it is clear to us that it's more than just microaggressions. We're also seeing demographic complexity. We talk about Asian Americans, but already the literature is showing us that that experience of racism is vastly different. Some of the earlier research has shown, for instance, in gender, men tend to report more incidences of racism and discrimination than women. Why is that? What's that about? Ethnicity also. There's differences across the multiple ethnic groups that Nita is talking about, right? Filipinos, for instance, tend to report more experiences of racism. Most brown Asian Americans tend to report more experiences of racism than typically East Asian Americans. Why is that? What's that about, right? Uh, we're even seeing ge geographic uh, differences. Uh, there are some really fascinating studies where uh, Asian Americans in San Francisco which is typically touted as a very diverse, very progressive, have reported more instances of discrimination and racism than folks either in LA or in Hawaii. 
Why is that, right? So just as the, the community of Asian Americans is complex, so must, so must be our studies, right? And we need to tap into all the different facets there. We also need to look at, you know, contextual specificity, right? This is a very common item. And they ask you, you know, have you ever experienced this? And they ask you, well, how do you deal with this? You know, you are called names or are insulted. And you check a box and you say, you know, I've experienced this a lot. I've experienced it a little. Okay. But that's a pretty dry statement, right? Because what that statement doesn't show is the specific context. How you respond to this, you are called names, is going to vary and differ. If it's your boss who's calling you an ethnic slur, that's going to be really, really different. And how you cope with that is going to be really, really different as opposed to your classmate sitting across from you, as opposed to maybe some guy in a store, maybe out you know, in the Central Valley that you're never, ever going to meet again. How you cope with that, how you navigate that, the impact that it has on you, is going to be vastly different. Yet when we study racism, we treat it as if it's only that top bullet point, and it's not. It's far more nuanced, far more difficult to navigate than that one little bullet point can show. So we also need that as scholars to capture some of these nuances, because this speaks to power, this speaks to intimacy, this speaks to relationships, this speaks to your ability to navigate safety, right? Those are nuances that need to be captured. Amazingly, we're not even clear on what actually makes things better for folks, which is striking. Okay? We have been grappling with this. My own area is in coping. I cannot stand here before you and say there's one way to cope with racism, because there probably isn't. Uh, other folks have looked at ethnic identity. Some folks have found that you know identifying as an Asian American helps. Others have found identifying as an Asian American hurts. So there's a lot of things that we still need to find out. One of the things we actually know is some things actually consistently hurts. One of the things that consistently hurts is denial and avoidance. That's pretty clear. How to make it better? Still a head scratcher. And as clinicians in this room, that's an important area of study for all of us. You can see that part of why Nita and I you know, worked together for a long time is we think there's a lot of work yet to be done. And this particular slide actually captures that a lot. So we have a lot of work to do. When I first ran across this slide, I was kind of debating whether I should put this clip in. It happened so long ago. And a student came by, Cheryl. Cheryl's a real superstar graduate of Lowell, top school, high school in San Francisco, graduate at Berkeley, summa cum laude, top school in the country. She goes, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm working on this thing. And I said, hey, you know what? Let me ask you a question. Do you know who Vincent Chen is? No. No, I, I, who, who's that? Mm, 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 mm. The despair I felt in that second 
It's like, oh, my Lord, you're the best and the brightest. You don't even know. And he goes, she looked at me. She's like, you okay? <laughs> I said, and then my heart as an educator came to the floor. I said, you know what? Why don't you sit down? Let's watch this clip with me. Learn a little bit. Let's talk about it. That's why we're here tonight, is to find teachable moments, to not assume that every generation knows what happened in the generation before, to honor the work of the generations that went through the pain of what we have talked about, and make that real and alive here today, and to cry and to hurt. That's part of what tonight's about. Because we have a choice to give in to that despair or as educators, as healers, to give in to moments of education, of learning, of some hope. We have choices. And so let me close tonight by a quote from Dr. Carolyn Payton. I started this night honoring my African-American colleagues. I will end tonight by honoring my African-American colleagues. Dr. Carolyn Payton was a psychologist. She was the first African-American woman to head up the Peace Corps. She was appointed by Jimmy Carter. And uh, she wrote this seminal article in um, The American Psychologist about talking about the social responsibility of psychologists. Okay, let me say that again. The social responsibility of psychologists. And she posed a hard question for everybody in this room. And here it is. Who must do the hard things, right? Who must do the hard things? And Lord knows if that question has any more relevance today than any other. It is, that is a true question. Ah. Her answer, and I think it's an answer that should hit home to everybody here, is those who can, right? Those who can. The people in this room, whether you're a student studying to be a psychologist, studying to be a healer, studying to be a pastor, studying or already a scholar and a faculty member. We are the ones who are equipped with the education. We are the ones who are equipped with the scholarly skills. We are the ones who are equipped with the ability to write articles and books. We are the ones who have been trained to have the ability to pick up this mic and give voice to the experiences of people who've long, long been silenced. We are the ones who have that responsibility. It is on us. So to close this out to the larger question, does race matter for Asian Americans? You can see obviously that my answer is yes, but first and foremost, it has to matter to us and the people in this room. Thank you.